0: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the next episode of Raise the Apple. Should be a relatively quick episode today. Not much going on with the Mets. A uh, little bit going on with Major League Baseball, but the Mets had an off day last night. They are finishing up their road trip this, their, the end of middle to end of this week in Chicago against the Cubs. Then they will come back home to play the Nationals for the first time this year and they will also finish one of the hottest teams in baseball right now, the Boston Red Sox, which will also be their first interleague matchup of the year. The Mets finished up a three-game set in Colorado in which they were able to win two out of three. They split the doubleheader on Saturday, and then they won on Sunday. The first game on Saturday, which was the one they won, was Jacob DeGrom doing Jacob DeGrom things, as always. For those of you who didn't watch, DeGrom tied his career high in strikeouts with 14 in a 7-inning game. He only went 6, but if it were a 9-inning game, he probably would have come out for another inning, maybe 2, and most likely would have broken his his personal strikeout record. He, at one point, struck out 9 in a row, which was one away from tying the MLB record that Tom Seaver has set. Which when he struck out 10 batters in a row. A lot of guys have gotten 9. Jacob deGrom's gotten, I think one time he got 7 or 8 to start a game. But deGrom was just one away, and I cannot believe how filthy and amazing Jacob deGrom is as a pitcher. But even though deGrom has been doing historically things that no one's ever done before, the Mets just forget how to play offense and score runs when DeGrom pitches. It's it's unbelievable that any pitcher on any team can be as dominant as Jacob DeGrom and their offense just not score runs when they pitch. The Mets are, I think it's like 30-something and 40-something in games DeGrom has allowed one earned run or fewer. That blows my mind that that is actually possible for any team. Not just Jacob deGrom and the Mets. You know, Let's say the same numbers were with Max Scherzer in the Nationals or uh, Lucas Giolito in the White Sox. The fact that that is this line for any pitcher with any team to be that dominant and still have a losing record just baffles my mind. But the Mets did come away with a 4-3 win. They got all three of those runs the Rockies scored were unearned. Uh, the costly, A little bit of a costly error by Jeff McNeil that led to two of those three runs scoring, then Ramiel Tapia hit a solo shot. But the Mets offense got going late. They had some late-inning heroics from Lindor, and they were able to salvage the first game. The second game was more of kind of a bullpen game. Joy Lucchesi got his first start with the Mets, did not go great, had a very rocky first inning. Uh, we were able to see, for the first time this year, we were able to see Robert Gesellman pitch, which it was only for an inning, I believe. I just want to double-check quick. Yes, an inning allowed one hit and one strikeout. I don't know why we haven't seen Gesellman yet until Saturday. It had been two weeks into the season, and that was the first time Gesellman had been used. Uh, Trevor Hill... Hildenberger also came in for the first time, but he did not start the year on the opening day roster. He came in when uh, Dylan Batantis got placed on the IL. Now Gasolman comes in. He was good for an inning. Lucchese or Lucchesi and Jacob Barnes were the ones that got hit pretty hard. Lucchese gave up three runs. Jacob Barnes gave up four runs. I don't. I don't know the reason if someone could explain it to me I would I don't understand why this is the first time we've seen Geselman I don't know if Luis Rojas was like trying to avoid using him or what the deal was with that but I'm su- now every Bet- Mets bullpen arm has been used but I'm wondering why it took 2 weeks for Gisellman to come in maybe it wasn't the right situation for him or whatever the case may be I don't know that was kind of weird but the Mets were not able to win game two which is okay they still won the series they came back on Sunday Marcus Stroman was fabulous yet again eight innings allowed just one run his ERA on the year is now 0.90 at one stretch I believe it was like 12 in a row he made an unbelievable behind the back play which I think was on accident I think he surprised himself that he snagged it And then he threw it, and he didn't need to rush it, but he did a little bit. And it took about 70,000 bounces into Pete Alonso's glove, and they got the out just in time. And you hear Strowman, and then you see Strowman pointing at his glove, saying, that's effing gold and all that, which was awesome. I love that. But Strowman has been unbelievable this year. Edwin Diaz came in, got his second save of the year, shut the door on a series win for the Mets as they head head into the off day last night before getting back into it tonight. Marcus Stroman has won all three of his starts this year. The Mets realistically have two legit Cy Young candidates on their staff right now. You got DeGrom, who is just DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball. I don't know how any baseball fan can still make the argument that Garrett Cole is better. And then you have Marcus Stroman, who has been fantastic this year, who arguably could have finished a complete game his last start, even though it was a seven-inning game. And because his pitch count was so low, and he also could have done a complete game uh, last night, or not last night, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So Strowman has been great. He's, I would say, he at the beginning of the year, I believe it was CC Sabathia that said Strowman is a dark horse Cy Young candidate. And right now, Strowman is pitching like one. he doesn't have the strikeout numbers. But he's never been a strikeout pitcher. He's been predominantly a ground ball pitcher. And I don't think that you necessarily have to get, you know, 10 to 12 strikeouts every single start to be a Cy Young winner. I think Stroman can very well win a Cy Young without striking out a dozen guys each time. Just from, you know, being dominant, he he went into the 7th inning, his pitch count was super, super low. It was in like the 60s or 70s, and at that point in the game, the way baseball is now, it is amazing that his pitch count was that low that late into the game. And he's also interesting because one thing no one's talked about really in the off season. now they're starting to bring it up a little bit because of how good he's been. But over the off season, everyone was talking about extending Lindor, extending Conforto. What are the Mets going to do with Noah Syndergaard at the end of the year? Because he's also a free agent. Marcus Stroman is also a free agent at the end of this year. So it'll certainly be interesting to see what the Mets do with that. I think the Mets should try and keep him. I doubt he's going to sign an extension in the middle of the season. I'm sure he's going to want to wait and see how the year pans out so he can get as much value as possible. But if I'm the Mets, I I make a big push. And coming into this upcoming offseason, if I'm the Mets, I don't think they need to make many big moves. I think they should try and extend Conforto, extend Syndergaard, and extend Stroman. I think those all three of them are due. I think, all, well, Syndergaard is kind of the question mark because it depends on how he is coming back from Tommy John. But having the three of them as being extended as your priority for this offseason, I think that should be their top three things. Obviously, that all depends on how the rest of the season shakes out. But at the very minimum, I think re-signing those three is one is going to be one of their top priorities going into the offseason. The Mets right now are 7-4. and four. They are in first place. They have a game and a half lead over the Phillies, who are at 500. Uh, the Marlins are right behind them, with at one game under. That uh, Jazz Chisholm, I believe, is his name. Blue hair uh, infielder on the Marlins. I absolutely love him. I absolutely love what the Marlins are up to right now. They are heading in a fantastic, fantastic direction. They still got a little bit to go, but they are certainly heading in the right direction with Kim Ng in the front office. I expect that trend to continue. But the Mets will open in Chicago tonight. The Cubs have been blah this year. (laughs) The offense has not been able to get it together. It looked like they broke out the other night against Atlanta because they scored 13 runs. But then on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, the Braves counteracted with 13 runs, including six of them in the first inning. I believe it was four home runs in the first inning. Four home runs in the first inning against Kyle Hendricks. So obviously not the start the Cubs fans wanted. But the Cubs, it, if you look at their offense, they have a great offense. They're just not clicking right now. You know, across everywhere you look, they got great. Their outfield um, right now is Hayward, Jock Peterson, and why can I not remember the third one? Huh can't remember the third outfielder. But anyways, their infield is Rizzo. Uh, I think it's Bodie at second base. Baez and Chris Bryant. And then Wilson. Oh, Ian Happ. That's who the third outfielder is. And then Wilson Contreras behind the plate. That's a great offense. They just can't seem to get a consistent offense going. Their bullpen's been good. Craig Kimbrell, I believe, is still not allowed a hit yet this year. But right tonight, Taiwan Walker will get the nod against Jake Arrieta. Taiwan Walker has also been fantastic this year. Uh, so has Jake Arrieta, or Jake Arrieta has been good for the Cubs. And then tomorrow at the night game is David Peterson against Zach Davies. David Peterson had a, was f- absolutely fantastic his, for his last start. He'll look to continue that. Zach Davies kind of bit off to a rocky start of the year, and then they'll finish off the year Jacob deGran not worried about that one against Trevor Williams. No offense to Trevor Williams, but it's a tough task. Any person you are going against Jacob deGrom, that's a, a, it's tough. You're going to have to be just about perfect every single time. But with the Mets not scoring for deGrom, you never know. So The last little bit of Mets news was the drama that I addressed at the end of the last episode that came out from Barstool. First of all, Barstool just said there was a story coming. They did not know what the story was about. They just said it was coming. They were not get told what was going on or any of that. They were just told, hey, we got a story coming about the Mets. Brace yourselves. And that's what Barstool, or the We Gotta Believe pod, that's what they said. So what this story is, is a continue, I guess continuation of the Jared Porter and Mickey Callaway stuff. So for those of you who don't know, Jared Porter was hired as the Mets general manager this year in the offseason, then was later fired because of inappropriate text messages and behavior that emerged. Mickey Calloway, who was the Mets manager now the Angels pitching coach, who is now currently suspended and under investigation for also sending shady texts and being creepy. The Mets also, in the offseason, fired Ryan Ellis, who was the hitting coordinator for the Mets, for also shady behavior back in 2018. Now the latest, the latest for the Mets was on Friday, the Athletic article, which annoyed me that it was on the Athletic, because the Athletic is a subscription website, which is what almost all websites are now, which is unfortunate, so you have to pay to read the entire article. I do not have an Athletic membership, so I did not read the full article. I went, I'm on, uh, currently Mets metsmerized online to read like, snippets from it because I, I wasn't going to pay to read one article, to be honest. But the piece on Friday said that Joe DeVito, who was the executive producer of entertainment for the Mets until March of 2021, and the Mets current executive VP of content communications, David Newman, the article highlighted those two as also being inappropriate towards women in the Mets organization. Uh, there's some couple texts that emerged. One of them said, "At least I'm not as creepy as Mickey." Hashtag goals. Another one said, "I barely hit on you, so that counts for something." It's, uh, I, what's the right word? The Mets have been plagued. I don't know if "plagues" the right word either. With a toxic workplace environment, especially towards women. Uh, again, if you, it's probably best to read the full article. But this is what we have. And it also, it's better to know the full story, but we're obviously never going to get the full story because it's going to be a, he said, she said, but it's hard to argue text. It's hard to argue text. It's hard to, you know, Oh, there's text word for word right here. It's hard to justify those or counter those. And hopefully this sounds like I'm not dismissing it by any means. I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing it, but this sounds like it was an Big, big issue with the Wilpons in the Mets when the Wilpons owned the team. A lot of people have been saying that the Wilpons knew about it but didn't do anything to fix it. Now Steve Cohen comes in. He's got to deal with all of it because no one said anything until the Wilpons were gone, which also annoys me. If they had, I'm not saying they did, but let's say they had the story on Porter and Callaway and Devito and Newman, if they had the story of these guys, let's say a couple years ago, in 2019, let's say, why are they waiting until they're no longer with the team to say something? That's what annoys me. You know, a lot of these stories are saying the Wilpons knew but didn't do anything about it, and the media knew but didn't say anything. Why was nothing said when it was going on? Why is it coming out now that they're fired or have are no longer with the organization? That's what's frustrating to me about the whole situation, but I, that's just the way, unfortunately, that's the way things are now. But it, sounds, it seems to me that uh, in the old regime, there was a very toxic workplace environment, especially towards women. I do not know if that's the case now with Steve Cohen. No one really knows. if that, It sounds like Steve Cohen's trying to fix it. He has, um, he retained Wilmer Hale to conduct a review of the organization's culture, and they hope to fix that, which is great. Steve Cohen has handled these relatively big issues. He's handled them extremely well, so good um, hats off to Steve Cohen. But that's pretty much all for Mets news and Major League Baseball. Uh, The San Diego Padres and Dodgers series was this past weekend, which was outstanding, we had Benches clear the first two games. We had Mookie Betts make an unbelievable catch to end the second game. And then Trevor Bauer came in for, and pitched the final game of the series, which I don't know why this game wasn't on ESPN. And then uh, the Padres did come away with a win, but Bauer was dominant against San Diego. Uh, struck out struck out Tatis and was pounding his chest. It was awesome. That series is going to be so much fun to watch. This week, the Padres and Dodgers play again, and po- that game will be on ESPN on Sunday night, which is great for baseball because this is quickly becoming one of the hottest rivalries in the game right now, and I'm super excited to see how this goes, especially with Tatis back after a little shoulder, uh, not little shoulder issue, it seemed like it was a much bigger, it seemed like he dislocated his shoulder at first, but I guess not. So now that he's back, it's certainly going to be so much fun to watch what uh, how that series, That series goes on. And then the last little bit of MLB news today is Jay Bruce has announced his retirement from baseball after 13 this year, would have been his 14th year if he played the whole year. 14 years in Major League Baseball. Hats off to him on a fantastic career. Made a name for himself in the Cincinnati Reds, hit a couple big home runs to win them division titles in the postseason. Then he came to the Mets. He spent time with the Mariners, the Indians, the Phillies, and now with the Yankees. Uh, we know his time with the Mets. Originally, the Jay Bruce, when the Jay Bruce trade happened, originally the Mets were supposed to be sending Brandon Nimmo to Cincinnati. They ended up sending Dilson Herrera, and I think we can all agree we're glad that it worked out that way and that Nimmo was still with us. Uh, and then he went away for a year, and then he came back. I think Bruce was, he was, uh, I loved Jay Bruce. I also loved just saying Bruce when he would homer, just like when Duda would hit a homer. I would love saying Duda. But hats off to Bruce on a great career. Uh, Over 300 home runs, over 900 career RBIs. A very successful career. Most likely will not be in the Hall of Fame, but he certainly has had a very successful career and nothing short or nothing to be disappointed in. So congrats to him on a great career, which leads us to... Our last little bit of today, this day in baseball history, and it's kind of an emotional one. On Today in 2013 was the Dodgers, or not Dodgers, the Red Sox' first game at Fenway Park since the Boston Marathon bombing. This was back in 2013, the year the Red Sox would also go on to win the World Series at Fenway Park for the first time at the time was 95 years. Uh, The Red Sox played their first game. They had the pregame ceremony beforehand. They had Neil Diamond showed up unannounced and sang Sweet Caroline. For those of you who don't know, it's like an eighth inning thing, or it's a late inning tradition with the Red Sox as they swing, sing Sweet Caroline in between innings. Then Big Poppy comes out, has the ultimate line where he's go, this is our effing city and no one's going to dictate our freedom. A great day for the Red Sox. And instead of... Home teams usually wear the nickname on the jersey, so like Red Sox when the Mets are home it says Mets on it, and then when they're on the road it says New York. But when this game the Red Sox wore the jerseys that said Boston on them, which was a nice touch. And then of course it was amazing that they went all the way to win the World Series that year. I can't believe in 20 it's almost it's been 8 years since that bombing and since that whole incident and it just feels like it was that was forever ago, but it was just a Not really that far off ago. Incredible how time flies. But that's going to wrap it up for today's episode of Raise the Apple. Make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe down below on YouTube if you're listening there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, make sure you subscribe there as well. We'll have a new episode on Thursday. Hopefully the Mets uh, can get a couple wins against the Cubs and be going for the sweep on Thursday. Hopefully they stay in first place for the rest of the year and hopefully they can get their offense going they're in a great spot with the offense not really clicking right now and with cookie thor and lugo still coming back from injury so a lot to be excited about and a lot to lock to look forward to well thank you for tuning in for this episode again make sure you subscribe down below and follow us on social media at rta underscore pod thank you for tuning in for this one and we will see you guys on thursday let's go mets We're legends.